business owner stuck in fear, doubt, and worry about what the marketplace will look like in the future, then this show is for you. Strap on your seatbelt and get ready to disrupt and innovate. Here's your host, Lisa Levy. Like I promised in the very beginning of this conversation, we're going to talk about game-changing technology in the mining space oil, gas, and mineral. Jeff and I started the conversation last week, but now we're going to dig in and finish that conversation as we look at the technology and the science behind what they're doing that is so incredibly disruptive and innovative that will serve all of our consumer needs for decades to come. So what's and out so, there that yeah. you, that's making a real difference in this exploration process? Yeah, yeah. We When we were hunting, we to, to find something that, that, that could give us more information, we encountered this crew. And look, the research started 20, 30 years ago. It started in Ukraine, of all places, but they, they've got a big mining sector there. And it was academics who, who did the research and then went out in the field and tested it and proved it. And the guys that we work with bought the technology and have continued to refine it and do R&D. And so, they, yeah, they've increased the accuracy. They reduced the size of the kit that they that they use. Yeah, in the early days, it was these big things that took two people to carry. Now it's a little box that weighs five kilos or less yeah, for the different phases of the work. The technology is kind of clever. It looks at the Earth's electric field. It looks at the magnetic field and the electromagnetic field. And it, it looks at it only at the boundary between the lithosphere, in other words, the dirt, and the atmosphere. The problem with a lot of the, the technologies that, that try to send active signals into the crust is a thing that, that's called skin effect. And for the scientific folks in your audience, go look it up. Basically, it means that you know, the deeper you go with your signals, the more dispersed they get and the less accurate information you get on the reflection. And to go deeper, you've got to use longer wavelengths, which is more inaccuracy. It's just a whole bunch of reasons why trying to send signals into the earth doesn't work well. And you get some information, but it degrades at depth. So the fact that these, this technology is not trying to send anything into the earth is a big, big thing. It's looking at polarization distortions and, and interesting things at resonant frequencies that most people would recognize for minerals in, in the radio frequency range, but it's also looking up in the deep, deep blue and ultraviolet, so sort of kilohertz and terahertz ranges. It's, it's looking in places that other folks don't look in that deep blue and ultraviolet, finding interesting things, and it's finding markers distortions in the electric field and the electric magnetic field that are the result of what's under the ground. Because as the, as the magnetic field comes through the Earth's crust, it gets changed by what's there. And again, the, the electric field, which is in the atmosphere above the ground, again, it, it, it matches, it, it changes itself to be a mirror of what's under the ground. So we look at those markers with this technology and we can tell where the minerals are, if you like, in 2D, but we can also tell the depth in 3D. So we can make you know, a, a map of it, and, and we do, 30,000, 50,000, whatever data points, so you get a reasonable amount of um, information. But we can also tell what minerals there, which, which is not always the case when you're doing exploration. You might get some magnetics and seismic that tell you something's there, and you know it might be gold, copper, silver, whatever, but you'd find out when you drill. Before you drill, we can tell you what's there. We can also give you indications on the grade with this technology. And if you're oil and gas, we can tell you the pressure, which is a big thing for them. Um, <clears throat> I was talking to some, some oil and gas guys 
I mean, a few days ago, and yeah, we took them through. We're showing them some of the work, and, and we said, "Oh, yeah, and at this phase, we can feel the pressure." They just about jumped out of their chair. The, the audience have to appreciate it. it's a big thing when you're drilling well to to know that before you drill it. If you get it wrong, um, you know, you can blow the well. Right. In this in and, this case with this technology, I just want to make sure that I'm understanding because yeah. I'm I'm not the most scientific brain in in yeah. the audience. With this technology, you are able to see and understand what is at depth, what type yes. of mineral it is. If it's oil, oil or gas, you can get the pressure so that you know how to safely drill. Yeah. So that, you, okay. and we can tell you if it's oil, gas, or condensate. Yeah, and we can show okay. you the layers of the oil, gas, condensate, and the water, and the, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and you've already explained that the existing process takes years and yeah. mind-boggling amounts Three of money. months to do this. Say that again. Three months. It's slightly different time zone, isn't it? Um, right. As we say when we're talking to execs, yeah, you've got a, got a process now, it takes a long time, has uncertainty, low, a high risk, low success rate, costs a lot. We've got something that's quick, um, take, takes three months, and you can come in and drill two or three holes and verify afterwards because we're, we're finding, we claim the accuracy is around 94%. We're being conservative. You know, it, it keeps coming in at 98 and higher. The cost is about 20% of what they typically spend, less than 20%. We, we say that to be conservative. It's it's just for them, it's a game changer. There's no environmental footprint. So whether you're doing onshore or offshore, you can actually do your exploration without necessarily having to go through all the permissions. Once you've shown the environmental authority what it is and how it works, they just say, go for it. So in the spirit of this show and what we're talking about, right, this is disruptive technology that can oh, lead to is. innovation yeah. and effectiveness this yeah. and I, I know I've said it a few minutes ago, but this is absolutely mind blowing stuff. It is mind blowing stuff. It is, and, and the, the the response that we typically get from the the, the geologists and geoscientists, and, and I and I, I get concerned if I don't hear it. Impossible. <laughs> you know, that's, we we joke sometimes and say it's a little bit like the Star Trek sensors. You know, <laughs> Captain Kirk and and Spock. You know what's going on on the planet. <laughs> Because the technology can see deep. Yeah, we, we've certainly used it to 19 kilometres for the oil and gas guys. Usually the mineral guys are, are not looking beyond um, three kilometres, but we have we have no trouble. See, I've, I've got to be careful when I use the word looking or seeing that deep, immediately it pings an appropriate negative response from the, from the geologists and geophysicists because we're not looking. We're measuring distortions in the field at the surface and we're interacting with those fields at the surface to to get the markers that tell us what's down there. So we're not right. So the, the technology there. is informing yeah. what's below. It's not, it, it is it. not yeah. seeing it's, it's it. It's not actively sending anything down there. But yeah, I, I also have a little bit of fun when someone says it's impossible. You know, I remind them that certainly those, you know, the, the, the geologists and geoscientists, you know, they have a science background. So you can quote a guy. There was a guy called Lord Kelvin, who's a famous British scientist who in 1895 said, I can categorically state that it is impossible for heavier than aircraft to fly. Right? You know, now here's the thing that I say to the, the, the scientists, you know, in hindsight, you know, eight years later or whatever it was, the Wright brothers in 1903, and we're 100 plus years later and we smirk. But when he said that, he didn't actually know that about 50 years earlier, an Englishman had built the first mechanised flying aircraft. It was a steam-powered engine, and he flew this biplane that was heavier than a aerite. And at the time that he was saying it, there was another British academic who was building gliders 
and he had people in these big gliders and they were biplanes and heavier than air and they were flying. So when he st- when he made the statement, it was already wrong. And you know, you can you can rattle off with a lot of other things. Uh, and, uh, the, the, there's another guy, a Nobel Prize winner. I'll say his name because most people know him, Einstein. He said, you know, oh, nu- nuclear energy is just, uh, roughly, he said, it's impossible, unfeasible. Uh, he said, you know, for heaven's sakes, we'd have to be able to split the atom. Now, he said that in 1938 or 39, and, you know, 1945, we know what happened in Hiroshima. You know, by then, we'd figured out how to do it. And these days, we we um, we also know how to do it in a, in a useful way in you know, power stations, not just in a destructive way. And they're Absolutely. working right now on fusion power. You know, so within a, a, instead of fission, which is what we've used historically, that there are now hopes that in the next 20 years or so, we, we may well get fusion working to the point where it's a viable energy source. And and that would be a, a game changer for, yeah. for, the, for climate, for sustainability of oh, you know, life, yes, life on the yes. planet. Yeah, some folks are concerned about the outcome of existing fission power where, uh, you know, you've got some material at the, at the end of the process. Science has advanced a bit. It's, it's not quite what it used to be, but with fusion, it's nice because if something goes wrong and your electromagnetic field collapses, because it all has to happen inside a magnetic field, the whole reaction colla- it just it can't sustain itself. Because you think about it, we're trying to duplicate what's on the sun where you've got hundreds and hundreds of times the gravity that we've got here. And we got temperatures of millions and millions of degrees. That's when fusion happens, right? <laughs> so here we are on planet Earth with one G. <laughs> it only works in a very, very, very narrow set of circumstances. And if you can maintain those inside this magnetic field, your reaction happens and you get the energy you can draw on it. But the moment any of those variables collapse, the reaction collapses. Yeah, no nasties. <laughs> yes, yeah, we, we, we don't want that. We went into a rabbit hole. I want to pull us back yeah, to pull us back the, out. Yeah. The, the, the power of expediting exploration and yeah. what it means for oh, it's a big thing. mineral oil, gas, right? There, our consumption and our usage of all of these yeah. things is huge. So yeah. this is this is an opportunity for us to bring resources to bear in a much shorter duration of time. Yeah. And that's why we're pretty passionate about it and excited about it and trying to work with the exploration companies and the, and the mining companies, the oil and gas companies, but particularly the exploration <clears throat> and, and the mining companies, because we're in a time where we're trying to transition away from hydrocarbon fuel for transport. But <clears throat> for you know, at the moment, everyone's saying cars and trucks, but... Uh, even Elon Musk is saying, hey, once we get the energy to weight ratio right in batteries, we we, we can have electric aircraft too. <clears throat> and it's not far away. So and, that's why I say electric transportation. And yeah. to do that, okay, we need more electric motors, which are built with copper. So we need a lot more copper. We, we, we need battery minerals. And at the moment, we've got Batteries that use you know, lithium, cobalt, these sorts of things, and there are new there are new technologies coming. But we're going to need a lot more of these minerals. The forecast is by by twenty fifty, we need to have an annual production of these minerals to support that transition that would equate to about fifteen and a half trillion dollars worth of yeah. Uh, My right. brain doesn't the, even it, really comprehend a trillion, right? That's yeah, yeah. The, the kicker is. If we keep going at the rate we're going, we might hit 3.5, 3.7 trillion. We're, we're not quite going to make it. Well, long way. <laughs> so 
So we see this technology as one of the things that the mining sector can adopt because it allows them to shrink their exploration cycle to, say, six months. Three months to do our stuff. They know what's there. They know where it is. They know how deep. They come in, they drill a few holes, verify that. Now they've got enough either uh, you know, go and raise money on, on the stock exchange if they're a smaller entity and, and build or if they're one of the bigger organisations, they're going to dig into their coffers and, and, and start building the mine. The, this technology would totally help them change the exploration game because we're, we're shrinking from six to 10 years to six months. And the the opportunity of this, and I think we've talked around it, but you want to say it specifically, right? Our consumption needs are increasing drastically. Drastically. You see it in the price of the minerals. For some of the minerals, it's up by 400%, some it's 600%, some it's 1,000% in the last few years. Um, So that that just tells you the demand is far exceeding the supply already. And and so, right, being able to manipulate the time to to actually extract minerals from the earth, shortening that cycle makes it all more accessible and more usable. And the cost doesn't grow exponentially. If the cost shrinks massively. We shrink it back down to something that's reasonable and natural. This is truly both disruptive and innovative in in its own, in the space. And are you facing roadblocks and challenges other than those naysayers who say impossible? You know, what are um, some of the no, other? No, that, that, that's it. And we, we, we have fun with them. And then, like, some of them just slam the door and they, they, they won't talk to us. And that's okay because it will, well, it's not okay for their enterprise really, but, but, but it, and I, I just think in longer time frames. And for the others, we have a little bit of fun and say, you know, we, we've heard the, the the impossible thing, and we we, you know, there's a story around that because we've heard it enough. I, I told the Kelvin and Einstein things. I was griping one day to to our marketing team, and I said, "Oh, I'm sick of hearing things are impossible." You know, I said, "I, I used to hear that back in the days when our focus was just the you know the workforce rather than the now we're doing the the technology as well as the workforce." And the stuff that I used to hear in those days, I mean, I'll tell a story. We, we were with a, 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 a bunch of senior executives in, in a client organisation and we were doing, so my, my sales guy and I were doing a presentation. They had, they had a problem and, and we were working just with their workforce. That, that was, we'd identified, we'd done some preliminary analysis. Preliminary analysis, we thought we knew what the root causes were and we were taking them through that. And, and uh, they, they were after a particular intervention and we said that won't work. And we said, we're coming in to give you a proposal. It's not what you asked for. Because <laughs> our analysis says, this is what's going on. These are the things. And, and we, we, we mapped it all out. And it sort of made sense for them. And, and they said, wow, okay. So what sort of result do you think you could get? And I said, oh, we could double the performance, 100% uplift in 90 days to 120 days. And the room went silent, right? So my credibility is that round number. Yes. <laughs> you, could, you could hear the thoughts. Impossible. We can't be running our business that bad. <laughs> and and then I said, and I'll guarantee that if we don't get the hundred percent, you don't pay us. And I mean, some of them, their faces went white. It was it was really funny to watch. And and we left the room, and and my sales guy said, "You blew it. <laughs> you totally blew it. We've lost them." And I said, "Well, either we've lost them, and they're not the right client, or they're going to process that we're sharing the risk with them." And that I genuinely believe that we can get that outcome. Otherwise, I wouldn't have said it because, you know, I'm the one sharing the risk with them. And they still had some risk because they're going to apply some resources and time and effort to it as well. 
anyways, we get a call the next day from the, from the senior exec in the room, the, the most senior exec, and he says, we've decided to, to go ahead with you. We think you're barking mad, but we've got nothing to lose. Now, 90 days later, I'm back in that same room with the same executives and their project managers there, our project managers there, and their project managers doing the presentation. And their project manager puts up the slide, you know, project on time, <laughs> on budget and results exceeded expectations. And one of the directors of the room leans over and whispers to the woman next to him, doesn't happen around here very often like that. <laughs> and you can tell there's, they're not very serious at this point. They're all smiling. And then their, their project manager, we had to work across six different functions and started putting up the just bar charts. You know, function one, there was the target. There was the actual. Yep. And by the time she put up three of those, the senior exec says, Look, stop, we don't need this. We all know what happened. The only conversation in this room is what are you going to do with the rest of the company? You don't get out of here until you tell us what you, you and your team can do next. So you can, you, and, and you just imagine that's repeated over the 20 odd years that I've been doing this time after time after time. You know, I've heard impossible so many times. And, but, but, I, but I'm also this crazy guy who understands the hidden potential in organizations. And I've seen that so many times. So I'm, I'm talking about that to our marketing team. Yeah. Impossible becomes a fascinating rallying cry for your yeah. team to be able to come in and say, yeah, yes, we want to do it. Here, no, here it say, is. Yeah. yeah. As, as, as Mandela said, you know, it's impossible until somebody does it. Right. And I was, I was bitching about that to the marketing team. Off I went, having vented to them and felt better <laughs> because I still vent about it every now and then. They all went off and quietly pulled together this video. And the video is about, you know, it's impossible until it's possible. And they started quoting all these famous scientists and people, leaders, respected leaders in their field from history. And I think they did about six of them. And they said, yeah, X impossible. And then, and they're all cases where we know it turned out to be totally possible. Yeah, one of my favorites was Semwala, the, the, the doctor who said that hand hygiene in, in hospitals and in surgeries was critical to patient. Right. They sent the poor guy to the nut house. The medical profession said, you know, we're, we're not killing people. It's impossible. But of course, you know, after he died, we, we found out it's critical. So, so they put this, and it's a really funny video yeah. when they just gave it to me. <laughs> That's and, absolutely. You uh, haven't posted it on the website yet, but we are starting to use that with people who say it's impossible, and it, and it's a it's an entertaining way of have, having them instead of a confronting way of having them go. All right, you break the iron triangle, you know the iron triangle: time, quality, cost. Absolutely, we're saying faster, lower cost, better quality because you get more data, but with, with a great deal more confidence. And uh, and as you say, disruptive, but disruptive in a really positive way. And I, and I love technology that can do that sort of thing. I, it's kind of, I'm at the point where a great email patent bonus, I'm sort of towards the end of my career, but I'm passionate about continuing to do this. It's it's our contribution to the mining sector who I I personally think have given us so much. You know, and, 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 it's, and it's one of those industries that we take. We take for yeah. granted, right? We don't see yeah. it. We get the fruits of the labor in our products, in our in the finished goods, and in yeah. our utilities, and in in those things. Yeah. We really don't, as consumers, take for granted. We take for granted where those things come yeah. from. Jeff, exactly. in our conversation today, you've taken you know, you've shared with us the impact of people and on performance and creating high performing oh, teams. 
yeah. right? And how we then in this particular sector where you saw really great people working in dangerous and risky environments, finding ways to solve for their training, their experimenting in the scenarios, yeah. identified a technology that will actually, as it's adopted, and I choose to believe that it's as it's adopted. Oh, yeah. When, will when, change when they everything. evaluate it, get their head around it, yeah. it's a joy to, because you talk to the senior execs and they go, wow, okay, this, this is a disruptor for my business model. For the senior execs, yeah, the bigger mining companies, they're, they're doing a little bit less ex exploration and more acquisition. So they'll let someone else do the exploration, find the party, and then they'll, they'll, they'll buy it and bring it online. But they're, they're realizing the, the, that they could um, reduce their costs by getting effective at fast exploration. And so they can do an exploration, find things, and then bring them online. But for the smaller players, again, you know, it reduces their risk. They, they all get that. It's so, so that those decision makers love the business model change. But you talk to the technologists, the geologists, geoscientists, they're immediately skeptical and they want to test. And that's great. I, I want that. I want them to understand how it works. And, and the fun thing is when you sit down with them and take them through the science, which could take two hours, because it's it is sophisticated stuff and there's multiple phases and we have to explain how it works in each phase. But when they get their head around it, they the get light bulb goes so off and excited. The technology guys, when they get past the impossible and evaluate and go, oh, it's real. <laughs> and they go and talk to customers who've, who've done the work. Or, you know, we, we had one recently where your client did a pilot. They thought the technology would work and they were thrilled. They said, we'll be thrilled if it works, but we want to test it. And so they took a, a tenement that they had thoroughly explored already with multiple technologies and they drilled about 50 holes. So they had a good idea. And we did that work. And then we, we had this meeting where they put the two sets of data together. And their, their senior geologist, he was just, he was like, look at this, look at this. You know, there's what we said. There's what they said. And it's exactly. Yeah. And, and so uh, with great yeah, innovations. Yeah. It, with great innovations comes that overall simplification, right? We make yeah, things yeah. easier as we advance. And this is going to allow us to change an industry or actually a couple of industries that provide yeah, so for our ability to grow and scale yeah. as a yeah. society. We've covered so much today. I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate the perspectives from the business perspective, from the scientific perspective, from yeah. the debunking the naysayer perspective. Yeah, This has been absolutely fabulous. As I wrap up, I like to ask every guest just one little question that makes you just a little bit more human and real, right? At the end of your day, how do you unwind? It's there's, there's two pieces to that puzzle. I'm lucky to be in a, a lasting and very precious relationship. I'm married. <laughs> I'd sit and talk with my wife. I, I, it's hard to, it, it sounds mundane, but I have a deep and abiding love for that person and connecting with her has, it's important to me. It has real calming effects. Uh, it elicits a lot of really great emotions. The other part of it is you see a little bit of it on the shelf behind me. Um, unfortunately, there's there's not a book there that's not related to science, business, people, <laughs> psychology, neuroscience, archaeology, anthropology. I'm a complete nut for um, learning. It's It's been a lifelong learning thing. So reading is the other thing. 
but yeah. Jeff, thank you for sharing that personal perspective and human connection and, you know, and a partner in yeah. crime is, is, oh, yes. is so key and important to all of us. Absolutely wonderful. For my audience out there, remember the rules. Don't get left behind. Join me next time. Yeah. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. That's it for today's episode of Disrupt and Innovate. Head over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Every single week, one lucky listener that posts a review on iTunes will win the grand prize drawing, a $15,000 private VIP day with Lisa Levy. And be sure to head over to disruptandinnovate.com and get your free copy of Lisa's gift. And join us on our next episode.